Well, when I came to Keswick 25 years ago, my experience with our speaker was he served on our summer staff. And now, 25 years later, he's on the Board of Trustees here at America's Keswick. What a transformation in this young man's life. And he's become one of our popular speakers here at America's Keswick because he loves God, he loves to handle the Word of God, and he loves sharing it. And you're going to be blessed as he comes this weekend to share with us. So I want you to welcome my good friend, and I know he's going to be your good friend by the end of this weekend, Pastor Robert Rodriguez. Let's make him welcome as he comes to share. I normally don't get uh, starstruck. I, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and if, any, if you guys know anything about Brooklyn, New York, now it's where movie stars live. You know, uh, Park Slope is where Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Patrick Stewart, lives. Uh, where my grandmother lives in a street over is where Peter Dinklage from a popular sh uh, a show called Game of Thrones lives. So I don't get too starstruck, but right now I feel a little nervous being around you guys. The reason why is beginning in 1994, I served on summer staff and I was told you can't talk to colony guys. And then as I got older and I was allowed to do more, I, I understood that it's not, there's a reason why, but when I started being able to speak to you guys and work alongside you guys, I was in awe of what God was doing. And years later, I still consider you guys my rock stars. You're the ones that I think about when I'm, when I'm, you know, worrying about having, you know, a stubbed toenail or somebody says something mean to me. I'm like, you know what? I got a bunch of brothers and sisters that's been through it. And so what I'm going through isn't nearly as enough of that. You guys rock. You really do. And I'm so thankful. The other part is I feel like I'm in front of celebrities that are like also like my cousins or brothers and sisters so it's weird at, at, at one side i want to be really really scared of you but on the other side i want to share a lot of stuff because we're family right and so i want to talk to you about some things that um i've been experiencing real uh, recently in the area of practicing spiritual disciplines one of the the things that i've noticed in my life that's been lacking is i'm always on the move and, you know, I can blame it on being from Brooklyn. I can blame it on being Puerto Rican. I can blame it on a lot of things. But the problem is I don't slow down. And because I don't slow down, I am not swift to hear and slow to speak. The exact opposite is true. I begin to think that I know everything. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. I should know everything. Right? I've been married for almost 20 years. I should know everything. Quiet, Becky. Come on. Don't, not tonight. You don't got to say it. All right? You can talk to her later. She'll, she'll, she'll tell you. I don't know anything. And what I've found out is even when I try to be still and to be quiet, there are voices in my head, man. And they continue to, to, to say things to me. You know, have you ever been on a, on a plane and they tell you to take your smartphone and they tell you to put it on airplane mode, right? Have you ever, like, how does an iPhone, how is that able to take down a multi-million dollar jet just by being able to receive text messages, right? And then when they wanted to make money, oh, now you can turn on the Wi-Fi part, right? 
When people make you put your phone on airplane mode, it's because somebody told you to do it, right? Here's my question. Have you ever put your life on airplane mode because you wanted to? I wouldn't dare do that with my phone, would you? But man, if we don't understand what it means for us to shut some things off, we're never going to hear what God wants for us. Being quiet. Allowing the Spirit of God to speak. It's the reason why places like America's Keswick is so needed. We get to leave where we're from. We get to go somewhere else. And the goal is for us to spend time with God. So my question to you, is that something that you're interested in? You may say, yeah, of course, you know, because we're going to have to hear you anyway, Rob. So, I mean, yeah, we're interested this weekend. But are we really passionate about having time to allow God to speak? You see, James talks about there's two things that's important when it comes to the Word of God. There has to be, obviously, the application of the Word, right? If you're not applying God's Word to your life and, and, and in your heart, nothing's going to change, right? But what James talks about before the application of the Word of God is something that I think we forget, and that is the appropriation of the Word of God. Do we find time to allow that process to happen in order for God to speak to us. See, if you're anything like me, I'm moving, I'm shaking, things are happening, and then all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? I need God to bless this. And then I stop, you know what? And I don't stop and I'm not quiet. I'm busy trying to tell God what I need. That's not quiet time. That's you going to daddy asking for stuff. And your heavenly father wants to do so much in your life. He wants to change my life so much. And I'm not even allowing him to do it because I'm so built up with wanting to do my thing and wanting him to bless my thing. Tonight we're going to look at Luke chapter 6. And we're going to look at the first 16 verses at a very interesting time in Jesus' life. You know, we live in this noisy world. And as we turn to Luke chapter 6, I want you to think about this. Even when we're alone, apart from sound, you and I are bombarded with texts. We're bombarded with emails. We're bombarded with social media messages. The desire to seek solitude and silence, which is something that we should crave. It's not just about finding a quiet place. Have you ever done this? Have you ever, um, you know, uh, left a glass of water out and when you got back to the glass of water, there's like either like a little mosquito or dust in it. And, you know, and, it's, and unless you're really, really thirsty, you dump out the water, right? Why do you dump out the water? What's the next step after dumping out the water? We're going to fill it up with good water again, right? This is what happens to us, though. We get rid of the noise. But then that's it. Okay, it's quiet. So now what? 
And this is what changes. This is where the rubber meets the road. When you realize that the next thing after, after emptying your life of the noise is to allow God to speak while you're quiet, that's when things can start changing. So how do we not only find the time and find the quiet place, how do we allow the rest that's in the word of God to uh, draw us in? And so the first thing we're going to talk about in, in the three times that we'll be together is I want us to talk about solitude. Every night we're going to talk about solitude, but we're going to talk about solitude tonight in decision making. You know, when, when we make decisions, big ones, small ones, everyday ones, life-changing ones, the decisions that we make hopefully are made with things like logic, right? It just makes sense. I can't afford a Maserati, and my kids can't fit in a Maserati, therefore we are relegated to a minivan, right? That is a logical decision, right? Here's the thing, though. Within all the minivans that are out there, do I need every kid to have a DVD player on their headrest, Corinthian leather, and oh, by the way, let it drive itself? No, right? Because logic dictates I only have this much amount of money, and I, I don't know the Queen of England personally, so I can't afford this one, right? Logic dictates our decision-making. The problem is sometimes we are so logical that we forget that there has to be someone in our decision-making process. We replace God with logic. And God wants us to ask from the wisdom that he has in order to influence and change that logic into a biblical one. And so we have to find solitude in order to hear from God so we make not only the logical decision, but the biblically correct decision. And we see this in Luke chapter 6. So hopefully you're, you're there by now. And I, I like to do this, and I hope, I hope you're okay with this. I like to stand when we read God's word. Because it is that awesome. Luke chapter 6, the first 16 verses, the Bible says this, On the Sabbath, he passed through the grain fields. His disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you read what David and those who were with him did, do, uh, did when they were hungry? And how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. Then he told them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man, who was, a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he, Jesus, would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him. But he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he told him, the man with the shriveled hand, stretch out your hand. He did, and his hand was restored. They, the Pharisees, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do 
to Jesus. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them who he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon they called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. On the Sabbath, it's a phrase that we hear a couple of times in this passage of Scripture, and on these Sabbaths, things happened that some people thought were miracles and some people got ticked off about. It happened on the Sabbath. Now, if you know anything about the Sabbath, the Sabbath really was designed for people to do what? To have time alone to contemplate on who? God. It had the idea of resting from work in order to do what? To focus on who? God. But what happened was over centuries, especially during the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where God was silent, these principles that God gave the nation of Israel to practice times of rest, since God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rest, he ceased from labor. But because of the silence, because of the coldness of the heart, all of a sudden it became about the Sabbath being the day that everybody went to the temple and everybody didn't do work. Notice whose name is missing from all of that. It became about religion. It became a whole thing. And then not only that, we know that on the Sabbath, because people would travel to the temple, there was a lot of things happening. And there was a group of people called the Pharisees that we also see in this story who they thought not only was it their obligation to know the law, but they judged other people on the law. And they were always looking to trip people up. And so if anybody would do anything on the Sabbath, they were right there. And you, may, and you may say this. This may be what you're thinking. Those are my kind of people. Everybody got to be following the rules. Well, here's the thing. These Pharisees were a bunch of crooks. So one of the ideas about work is that you're not supposed to travel, right? You're not supposed to travel on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to go more than 100 paces on the, on the Sabbath. But Pharisees, they were becoming popular. And they were becoming these teachers in other villages and other towns. And so sometimes they had to travel on the Sabbath in order to get to that town so that they could do some itinerant ministry and be put up in this big house, receive big honorariums and all that stuff. And so they had to travel on the Sabbath. Now, even though Israel is about the size of New Jersey, walking takes a while, right? Going on, on horseback or carriage takes a while. And so they would use the Sabbath. Here's how they did it. They would pick up a piece of dirt from home. And they would walk 99 paces. And on the 99th, they'd drop a little bit of the dirt from home. One. And they went another 99. One. And they kept, that's how they did it. Some shady people, right? But that's how they would get from one spot to another. But they would still, in their minds, follow the letter of the law. Because it says you can't leave the land of your home. Right? We all know it's ridiculous. Right? You try something like that with a cop, he knows it's ridiculous. 
right? But these guys, they just thought they were above everything. They got so... They got so deep into the letter of the law, they thought they were better than the law. And you and I have the same problem. We get so much intellectually from the word of God, we look at everybody else. And we're concerned about their step work. And we're concerned about what they're doing in their recovery that we're not looking in here. The Pharisees have this issue. And they have this issue with the Son of God. So here's what went down. On the Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples were picking grain, and they're rubbing them in their hands, and the Bible says at the end of that sentence, they were doing what with the grain? They were eating it, right? Okay, they weren't selling it. They weren't harvesting it for someone else. They weren't subcontracting. What were they doing? They were eating because they were hungry. And so the Pharisees saw this right away. And to me, it's interesting that the Pharisees seem to always be following Jesus from a distance to see what they can say about him. Ooh, look what Jesus did. And so they see him, and and they see what he's doing, and they say, hey, what are you doing um, what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now remember, they're not selling it, they're not harvesting it, what are they doing? They're eating it, right? They're picking up one at a time, rubbing it, eating it, just enough for sustenance. And so Jesus answers them, haven't you heard what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry and how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence? So this is a very famous story, a very famous story to Jewish people as well. That This is one of the, the heroic stories of David of how he kept his people alive, that even in the midst of the Sabbath, because his, his, his soldiers, his warriors, his Jewish army needed food, they got the food from the priests and the priests were like, eh, okay. Because it was David, their hero. And so Jesus says, don't you remember that David did way worse than picking grain over here? That, man, that guy went in the temple and took bread. And so he asked them, don't you remember this story? David not only took, he gave to his men. And then he says, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Here's the thing about Jesus's earthly ministry. There are times that Jesus would say things and a lot of people would not get what he said. But when people did, they had a choice to make. Either they're going to receive what Jesus said as being the living word of God, or they were going to reject what Jesus said and, and, and they would be against him. And some of the Pharisees, when, when you see them get upset, it's because they recognize exactly what he's saying and they're rejecting the truth of God's word. So they rejected the fact that he's calling himself the Lord, the God over the Sabbath. I want you to keep in your mind what a Pharisee does. There's no solitude in what they do because they're too caught up in what the letter of the law says. And what I want to tell you about this is this. When you... Find time or try to appropriate time to be in the word of God. You don't rely on what you know about the word. You rely on the God that teaches you the word. Because if you go into this time of solitude thinking you know the answers to everything, you're not going to hear from God, you're going to hear from yourself. And the Pharisees did not, God was right there. 
and they missed it on the Sabbath, which was made for you to stop working to do what? To hear from who? God. On the next Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Jesus, at this point, was a respected rabbi. I mean, he, he said a lot of things. He had a crowd. He had people. He had clout. People were listening to him. And so on the Sabbath, he was where he was supposed to be, in the synagogue, and he was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was shriveled. Now, in my imagination, and based on what we've read in the Bible about other people that, that were crippled and had, uh, had needs, physical needs, this probably wasn't the first time he was at the temple. We read in other passages of scripture that a lot of times the people who were crippled were at the temple for various reasons. Not only to receive alms for, for the poor, but also for what? Some of them were waiting for God to do something. And this man was there with his shriveled hand. Now the scribes and the Pharisees who had intellectual knowledge, had financial wealth, had power, could do things, could move and shake in the political and religious realm, they paid no attention to the man with the shriveled hand. They wanted, to see, they wanted to see what Jesus was going to do. I want you to think about what it says here, okay? Think about what the next sentence says. In verse 7, the scribes and the Pharisees were watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Okay, guys. They knew that Jesus could heal him. They not only knew what Jesus could do, they were assured that he could do it. This was not a lack of faith. This was not a lack of knowledge of who Jesus was. This was stone-cold narcissism. How dare the guy who can heal, we can't heal, but the guy that could heal... Let's see if he does it on the Lord's day. Do you, I mean, I mean, you want Jesus to be there, right? I mean, you know, and then you want God to heal people spiritually, right? But man, if somebody gets up and all of a sudden their shriveled hand, could, we know, he, wouldn't your prayer life just like be exponentially multiplied if you, I mean, but these guys are like, yo, let's see if he does it so we can grab him. If he heals them, we will take him. Like, that's where they're at. This is how blind we get when we don't spend time allowing God to speak and we decide to step into what's right religiously let's wait to see what he does we know he can do it i can't wait for him to do it because then we're going to have him how blind is that you know a lot of us you know full well what god has done in your life you know what he's done in your recovery. You know what he's done in your marriage. You know what he's done in your family. But some of us are still struggling, not because we don't think God can do it. It's because we know if he does it, there's some stuff that we're going to have to stop doing. And that's the struggle for us. 
We've seen him do it before. But man, if he does it again, I got to stop doing what I'm doing. How many of you here uh, either are involved in sales or know someone who's involved in like commission sales for a living? Okay. How many of you know the anxiety that it is knowing that your family is only going to eat unless you sell things? Right? So if you know that anxiety, how thankful are you when God allows you to make some sales and feed your family? But do you ever notice once your family's fed, you start worrying again about where they're going to eat the next day? That's what we're talking about. This consistent martyr complex that we have, this, this default of having to feel anxious because that's what we're used to. That we don't trust what God did and we instead continue to live the life that we used to live. Knowing full well what God could do. These Pharisees did not embrace the Lord of the Sabbath. They did not embrace the healer of the Sabbath. But I love what the Bible says because the Bible tells on itself. It says this, Jesus know knew what these men were thinking. The word of God changed your life. Amen? And you know why? Because it's the only book that can. The Bible is the only book that knows the thoughts and intentions of the hearts of the people within the book and the people reading the book. And so he, Jesus knows what these men are thinking, so here's what he does. He doesn't deal with them yet. Because there's a guy with a need here. Scribes ain't dealing with it. Pharisees ain't dealing with it. So Jesus, because Jesus' first motive has always been what? To seek and to save that which is lost. To heal. To show us the day of the Lord. And so Jesus says uh, to the man, after he knows the thoughts of the Pharisees, he says this, get up and stand here. Now, I want you to think for a moment about this, this man who's been coming week after week, wanting, begging for things, and all of a sudden someone says, come here. No, no, don't stay there. Come here. This is what Jesus does for you and I. Notice, he wasn't waiting for Jesus to ask him. He wasn't even thinking about it. He was too lost in his issues. Too lost in his condition. And this is what I want to show you about the sovereignty of God. You know, you didn't choose God. He chose you. He chose you to get up. He told you, come on. Are we thankful for that? He didn't call everybody. He called you. You're going to see he's going to pick 12. There was a multitude, and when the disciples came, then he picked 12. It didn't have to be this way, folks. You could still be out there. You could still be running the game. You could still be doing all these things, but Jesus found you and called you and said, come here. And when he brought him up, why does Jesus call you up? It's not for people to see the change to applaud for you. It's for people to see the change to give all praise and glory to him. 
Your recovery is not for you. Your recovery is to bring glory to God. Oh, you benefit from it. But it's for people to see who God is. And so here's what he asked them. He has the man come up and he says this. I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save life or destroy it? Man, that's a pretty simple question for church, right? So what's the point of the Sabbath? For good stuff or bad stuff? Is the point of the Sabbath for people to get saved or for people to die? What's the point of the Sabbath? And he asked them point blank because remember, he knows what they're thinking. Their objective for the day is to do Jesus dirty. They want him gone. That's their objective of the day. Not to see God, not to see people healed, not to see things happen, but to get Jesus. And he says, so what's the point of today? What's the point of the Sabbath? Is it to bring glory to God or for you guys to do what you want to do? They think they're the gods of the Sabbath. And they don't answer. They usually can't. And so Jesus tells the man with the shriveled hand, stretch out your hand. And he does, and the Bible says his hand is restored. Now, I don't know about you, if that happened during Colony Reunion weekend, right? All of a sudden, somebody has like, what would we be doing? We, our, our heads would be to the ground. We, God met with us. Right? These cats didn't do that at all. What they, they basically said this. They were like, all right, you know what? I can't believe he healed somebody on the Lord's Day. And so they decided from that point forward, what were they going to do to nab Jesus? How far gone are you when at the end of a church service you hate Jesus? Have you been there? Because Jesus sometimes tells you to do things you don't want to hear. And you leave church mad at God because you know he can change things, but it's going to require you to change. When we're not quiet, these Sabbath times in our life are not right for good decision making. These guys made some bad decisions. And now their decision making, their plan was to get rid of the one who can who seeks and saves those who are lost. That's a big day, right? That's at least for over a week, two Sabbaths. Jesus is healing people, making sure his disciples are fed, and everybody wants to get them. So verse 12 says what Jesus does. During those days, Jesus goes into the mountain, and he prays that God the Father wipes them all out. No. What does he do? He goes to a mountain, he prays, and spends all night talking to his father. The Pharisees didn't understand solitude. Jesus is the ultimate example of what to do in solitude. There's a few things that I want you to see before we close up is this. I want you to see this. Jesus, in some of the busiest times of his life, would take time to do first, leave. 
He doesn't try to squeeze it in. He doesn't try to find, like, you know, uh, you know a, a couple of minutes on, in, the, in the bathroom, you know, or, or like, you know, oh, kids, I'll be right there and just quickly, you know, get your U version and listen to your five-minute, you know, devotion for the, I'm sorry if I'm stepping on toes on this one, but like, you know, or, or the daily bread. Oh, that's nice for today, the chicken soup for the soul. No, no, no. Jesus takes time and he leaves. He, he has to find time and he physically removes himself from everywhere else. And not only that, he doesn't just go to the next block. He goes up a mountain. There is sacrifice in true solitude. There is physical activity in solitude. There's decisiveness in solitude. And when he gets there, he begins to communicate with his father. You see, I don't think our problem is communication. I think we pray for meals. We pray when people get sick. We know how to communicate with God. I think it's not the, the quantity, it's the quality of time that we spend with God. We don't take time to think about who we're talking to. Imagine if we would take some time to recognize, to maybe even visualize, maybe this would help us, to visualize us walking into a throne room that we really shouldn't be able to go into, but we don't even have to knock. We literally just open the door and say, Abba, Father, I'm here. I'm here. Do you recognize who we're allowed to speak to? And the Bible promises that he not only will answer, he will give us grace and help in the time of need. He knows you're there and is excited that you've come. And the way that the Bible describes this in the original language is what really hits home for me. And I, hit, I hope that it'll hit home for you. Is that when he says, when, when the Bible says that during those days he went out to the mountain to pray. This is a unique Greek phrase that only is used for Jesus. It doesn't say to pray to God. It says to pray as God. It doesn't make grammatical sense unless you know who Jesus is. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. So much so that he's able to be the ultimate example of what our prayer life should be. That through our relationship with the Savior and through the indwelt Spirit, we have access to the Father. That the Spirit tells us exactly what we need and tells the Father what we need instead of giving us what we want. Sometimes we don't know what to pray at all, but the Spirit goes, yeah, Rob said he wants new kicks. That's not what he needs. Rob needs patience. That, that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit gives utterances. Sometimes, have you ever prayed and not know what to say? I mean, you're that far gone, you don't know. God, I don't know what to do. And you just start groaning. The Spirit starts talking. Father, this is what he needs. You only have that because of Jesus. So because of this relationship that, that, it, that he has, he spends all night in prayer as God. Have you ever thought about the time you take to plan to pray? 
I mean, do we even do that? Is that even, is that even a thing? That we take time to plan when we're going to pray. And if we have that time, how long is it? And is it quality time? Are we interrupted? Do things come up? Do we start asking for things right away? Do we try to just, just fit it in? Jesus shows us that it takes time to remove yourself, to appropriate the time, and then spend time talking to the triune God. When he's done, verse 13 says, something big happens. This is big. He summons his disciples, which were more than 12, right? It was a bunch of people with him at this point, And he chooses 12 from them. And these were the men that would change the world. Yes, even Judas Iscariot will, have, will play his part. But these men were called. And you know the story of these men. God would use them to write the New Testament. God would use them to preach. God would call them home early by them dying deaths of martyrdom. God would call them to plant churches. God would use these men in miraculous ways. But that decision that Jesus made did not happen until he first did what? Spent quality time away from everybody after a lot of hustle and bustle to hear from his father. I don't know what decisions are coming up. I don't know what kind of busy week or weeks or Sabbaths you've had. But I do know this. In the decisions that affect our life, the ones that affect every day, the ones that will affect the next few years, and the ones that will affect the next few hours are decisions that God should be a part of. And the great thing is, he's waiting for that. He's waiting for you to not only come. This is interesting. God sometimes is waiting for you to shut up so he can talk. God's so merciful, he allows you to talk when he really just needs you to be quiet. Man, let's flip the script. Let's spend some time in solitude. Let's make the decisions that God moves us to make, not just the ones that make sense. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't rely so much on what you think you know about God and his word. Allow God to talk to you about what his word actually says. Father, I thank you for this time. I'm so thankful for how you move and speak. Lord, we, we beg you to help us to be quiet. We beg you to help us to use your wisdom to find the time that we need to be in solitude. Lord, I pray that you help us as we develop this skill set that we're able to teach our offspring the same thing. And that we're able to teach those that are around us what it means to be in solitude. Lord, help us to make the decisions that you want us to make. God, lift the pharisaical cloud from us. Lord, help us to stop thinking that we are better than others, that our recovery is going smoother. 
But Lord, help us to recognize that we can do nothing without you. Thank you for this place that we can get away. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.
Would you stand together? I want us to sing You Are My All in All as we bring our night to a conclusion. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I see. You are my all in all. Seeing you as a precious I want to get you to come up. We're going to Deuteronomize you. I'm going to ask, yep. I'm going to ask the PCMs to come up and join Brett. Disciples. And uh, you got your certificate. Here you go. And we're going to Deuteronomize our brother. Deuteronomy 31.8. And the Lord... It is he that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Deuteronomy 31.8. If you could exit from that door, make sure you pick up your kids. I think your Klondike bars are there too. Have a good rest of the night. We'll look forward to seeing you back here tomorrow morning at 9.30.